Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you're tuning in. We are Slava and Jonathan, bringing you the SideQuest Podcast, where we talk about character development, stories, and all things that are world-building. And we occasionally take side quests, because, frankly, that's how conversations work. Just as a reminder, this whole show is spoiler-heavy. So, sit back, tune in, and join us on this episode of SideQuest. Are we ready? Yeah, we are ready. I'm ready. Good morning, Jonathan. Oh, good morning, good afternoon. We already covered that. We got that intro. We got it good. You can you can start referring to me as Mouse Cat. That's my new street name. Mouse Cat? Mouse Cat. Mouse Cat, Mouskowitz. Musk. <laughs> you don't sing any songs. <laughs> no songs will be sung. I used to wake my dad up at 6 a.m. to turn on Fifo Goes West, an American tale about a, Jew- a little Jewish mouse. Every morning. Yeah. VHS. Because our TV was too yeah. tall and I couldn't reach it. Yeah. My, my the VHS I wore out when I was a kid was uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the first one. Oh, yeah. The movie from like 92 or something. Yeah, the live action. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, man, the live actions were great. So good. Yeah, they're such dog poo, but so funny and so they're great. Not, the same, like, they were bad. so good for the time. What are you talking about? You know the pizza guy? But they're guy? bad. They're bad good. You know, like like a really bad good movie? Like The, the pizza guy I was can't... a master martial artist from the intro. Pizza guy. Yeah, the pizza guy who's like, I don't see this address. This might have been the second one, but I thought it was the first one. Uh, in real life, he was a martial artist. He's a master. Okay. And so they, you know, because he's involved in the first fight or whatever, and so they purposefully picked him to help with the choreography because, you know, fight scenes need to look real, especially if you're Ninja Turtles. Ninja's yeah. in the name. Listen, when I say it was a, it's, a, it's dog crap, I don't really mean it like it's bad movie making. I'm offended. It was made for a specific reason. I'm offended. You should be. But it's not. Like, you know, how do I say this? You don't. It's a good, bad movie. Just like Sharknado, although opposite sides That's of That's a different two dick. animal. That's different animal, but the same principle, right? It's No. I'll watch Sharknado over and over for different reasons than I'll watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, because that's nostalgia. It's from my childhood. But the same principle applies. Sharknado's about It's absurdity. a silly movie. Yeah, but it's a silly movie. It's it's a silly movie. Teenage Ninja Turtles. It's made Turtles for kids. Real. Yes, the turtles are real, Jonathan. Donatello's retired to Florida. He was my favorite because he could attack people from a longer range. And really? also my I like Raphael. Took, my older brother took Raphael. Leonardo, so I couldn't be Leonardo. Well, yeah, I didn't like Leonardo. I liked Raphael. I like Donatello was my second favorite because he tinkers with machines and I was always a te- uh, technophile. But Raphael was my guy because he was a sarcastic, moody dude, and <laughs> the sire was a sarcastic, actually really moody. hard to use as weapons. They are. I've heard this weird, um, weird theory. I've got a pair of because them. the internet is f- full of them. That I've got a pair of a lot. Each of, of the weapons were given the turtles to either curb their enthusiasm or help them overcome an insecurity, for lack of a better term, about themselves. I don't. Let... Okay. So, because that? Raphael is impulsive, he gets Psy, which are not sharp weapons. Because Leonardo was always the reserved, careful, 
meticulous leader, he gets the only weapons that can do real damage, like can cut limbs, because you know Master uh, Splinter thinks he could handle that. Mm. And then the other two, I forget, but it's similar principles. Where Donatello got the, the big and, old and the, um, well, Rafa, uh, Michelangelo got the nunchucks. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, dun- nunchucks. Donatello and, had and the, the bow staff. Bow staff, yeah, and that's because of some of their characteristics. But whatever, that's that's dual silly wielding, internet banter. Dual wielding weapons is really hard because most of us are dominant in one hand, and so your offhand is oftentimes difficult to master. Like nunchucks in and of themselves are difficult to use. I have a pair of fully wooden ones, and I won't tell you how many times I've hit myself in the face with them. It's at least a four. lot. Yeah, more than four, actually. Today. At least four times a day. <laughs> oh, yeah, usually. Bow staff is good, though, because you can get so much range, and there's just so many pivoting things you can do with it. Oh, man, it's great. Dual swords yeah. is a tough one, though, because you actually move, you lose a lot of momentum that comes from the way that a blade works. So a good, a good blade, I used to do martial arts for those who are listening, is a wedge, and you should be able to just lightly, lightly trim something and then it opens up because it's a it's a sharp wedge however when you're using a sword you actually want to do this push pull motion with a katana now the ones he's using are not katanas but the the premise still stands because it's you're using your like top hand as the fulcrum and you're pulling with the bottom one and you're pushing with the top one and you're giving it the exact finesse that it needs to uh, slice through whatever you're going through because it's a blade as opposed to like enemy's face. arm strength, which is not going to actually use the weapon to its proper utility. It's a whole... No, it makes sense. It's a whole thing. It's a good time. I miss martial arts sometimes. That's why I use an AK-47. Just If you positively have to... Well... What does what uh, Samuel rushing. L. Jackson say? Jackie Brown, if you positively have to kill every, you know what, in the room, nothing does it like an AK-47. So I I want to see four podcast. turtles. If I see four turtles in, no. in my front yard, no, that are six foot, no, I'm putting you, them all down. No, you <laughs> leave them alone. They're here to save us. Turtles have no no chance. Yeah, well, the sewers are theirs. Hey, that's fine. You didn't see me crawling their sewers. Uh, trying Speaking to disrupt of their sewers, life. Carbranth. Carbranth is a sewer. Well, that one alley where uh, Shalana. Got to witness. No, it's a non sequitur. I'm just taking us to Carbranth. T- ah, very good. I'm funny. Yeah, I'm funnier so, than you give so, me credit for right now. No, you you are hilarious. So we're visiting Zeth first. Uh, you want to? Okay, yeah, let's do it. What? Well, the... that's Carbranth, right? Or do you want to do Shallan first? Well, so they're both in Carbranth, but that's right. Funny. That's that's what I'm getting at. I'm funny too. Let's. Mm. All right, strawberry. Which means a lot more for you and I than it does just for the book. Anyway, you nonsense, waste my time jokes. Zeth it is. Zeth is told to kill King Teravangian. He's the last name on the list, but yep. he has to get Teravangian to acknowledge the killing. Surprise! Teravangian is the owner of the Oath Stone. And Teravangian. That was a good twist. You liked that? I liked it. I liked that. I was like, okay, well done, Sanderson. That was a good one. That was a really good one. He's got a lot more surprises in store for you. Because it's more interesting than. Some some servant of odium or some dark lord or by dark lord I mean you know not dark odium. eyes but by yeah 
like Odium or one of his henchmen, it's much more interesting that in that it's Teravangian than an evil power or an evil group or even the group that Chalan's dad, which we'll talk about in a few minutes here, Ghost I suppose, m- might be part of, right? Ghostbloods. So I like this twist. This was, but this is like my my favorite part of the book. I think this last portion, the, the last five chapters, I was more than any other time in the book, I, I was hooked. Literally listened to this in one sitting without even getting up, right? Because it was so interesting for me. But a good twist. Anyway, continue. <laughs> and then Teravangian has Zeth follow him into a secret hospital room. Hospital room where he's doing... Killing. Draining people of blood. Yes. Yep. Because he wants to know... Their last words. Death rattles. He believes that there are... Patterns, secrets. Yeah, esoteric knowledge in these death rattles. And these are the death rattles that we've been getting as the epigraphs before the chapters. Very cool. I, I, that, yeah, that was the other thing. I'm like, oh wait, uh huh. This is a thing, right? And it doesn't make any sense until the end, where you're just like, okay. Right. I mean, I'm, I know that the author didn't put this in, like, oh hey, you know what? I could use a little bit of, a little bit of a lead into this chapter. Let me just write a couple sentences of nonsense. It's like, no, oh, yeah. this stuff is relevant. I'll tie it together at the end. Right. Well, I sent you a video, and I probably should have given you some context. But the reason I sent when? you a video. Like a couple, well, not a couple of days ago, yesterday, of Sanderson explaining his new book a little bit. Yeah, Tress of the Emerald Sea. Yeah, I, I read that. Yeah, so he does his homework for this stuff because there is, there is, there is, give me a second, everybody bear with me, on this world that he's building for this book, the the seas are made out of sand, but because of fluidization... Sometimes they act like water, and that's a real thing. You can make sand act like water in the real world. And the, the the video I sent you, he has a scientist on showing him how to do that. Yeah. So all that to say, he's built this world where the seas are made out of sand, and people can sail them, like with ships. And uh, he the ships are made out of some kind of really bad pores that can you know poison you too. That's all in the video, so I'm not spoiling anything that I shouldn't be. And once in a while, the fluidization stops, so the ships get stuck. And some of the more brave sailors come out of these poor ships and walk around on the sands slash sea floor. So all that to say, not at all would Sanderson put those epigraphs there just for grins. Right. The, the, they they were there for a particular reason, and the way that reason and like all the context behind it is revealed is really cool. If you're Slava, and 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 if you've been listening to this podcast, what I'm always interested in these twists and I'm always interested in why a character is doing what he or she is doing. Like that's, that's why Shalon is so interesting and Yasna is so interesting because you want to know, you kind of get on a sense of, okay, they're stealing the soul caster to help her family. She's doing research to help her family. Those things are much more interesting than more, much more captivating. I shouldn't say interesting, much more captivating than maybe Kaladin's story, in the sense that, well, Kaladin was a kid, he became a soldier, then he betra- was betrayed, he became uh, a slave, and you, you're still interested in Kaladin, at least I am, right, as the reader, and you still want to know his story and his arcs, and you know, hope you hope that he you know makes it out alive. But when there's a bit of a bit of mystery, a bit of the unknown 
as it relates to people's actions, like what they're pursuing, keeps me in, a, in any story. So now Taravangian is like, I want to know what the, what the hell happened before to get him to this point. Yeah, what do you think Taravangian is up to? Well, Slava's assumptions, if the desolation is coming, and it is, does Taravangian know it? And if he does, and I think he might have some inkling to it, because he's talking about creating peace and these light eyes have to die because he's the one who's ordered Seth to kill a bunch of guys, and some of them were his friends. In his mind, do these deaths prevent, in some measure, the desolation that's coming? And are there, are there secrets, again, in his mind, this is what he's thinking, are there secrets in people's death rattles that reveal more of what he needs to do to prevent the desolation? Or whatever. So the, my assumption is he knows something's coming. Maybe he he might be revealed that he's completely off his rocker and has nothing to do with the desolation. But whatever he's trying to do, he says that you know he's trying to fix Roshar, at least this Alethic kingdom. He's trying to fix it, and the secret is in murdering these light eyes and in whatever he can find in these people dying. And it seems like these are just random people. It's they're of all walks of life. These are not like, yeah, a particular group of people, yep. and they're not a particular race. They're just people on the street, people from wherever. I don't know how he finds them, but he finds them. He drains their blood, and they start talking right before death. And their speech, their death rattle, is recorded. That's my assumption. He does know about the desolation, but I'm I'm open to the possibility where he's just a loony. Like, he's a psychopath. Like, just a crazy person. You want a secret? Sure. I always like secrets. Taravangian visited the old magic. And so, what is his curse, then? He has in, a compulsion to drain blood in the and next, sanguate people? In the next <laughs> book, we see his boon and his curse, and it's where he gets to have days of utter genius and days of utter stupidity. Now, that makes sense. That, that, that totally makes sense, because... He, Zeth sees his genius, evil as it may be or whatever, right? And then Yasna and Shalan kind of see his simple-mindedness. He's not really shown to be like completely stupid, but he's kind of simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so if he's a genius, let me, let me just uh, like uh, add this to my assumption. So all the, all the exanguation, I think that's the right way to pronounce it, and all the, which leads to death because you're draining people of blood. And his murder of the light eyes, if he's doing those on days that he's smart, then that might prove my point or might support my point that he does know something about the desolation or whatever is coming, whatever he thinks is coming. And on the days that he's a genius, he's using that genius to stop it. Yeah, there's a lot more to that, but I figure. Sure, of course. I would, I would um, wet the appetite. Moist my palate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there it is. Mm-hmm. So you got to see more of Zeth. What are your takeaways now that we've talked about Teravangian? What What are your takeaways? Of yeah, Zeth? well, Zeth is a little bit more forthright with his master, and th- and that was surprising. It was unexpected because here's the you know the, the when I said he would you know th- suck his thumb and blow bubbles if he ever met Yasna that came from him like cutting himself and being all morose and trying to pour beer in his not trying well almost pouring beer in his head just because some some fat turd told him to do it all of a sudden you know as the lowest of the low as truthless 
he has the balls to tell this king that he's, you know, doing wrong. Yeah. Now, I might agree with Zeth that this king is off his rocker, you know, murdering people for supposed esoteric knowledge from their death rattles. But why all of a sudden does Zeth care? Because all of his dialogue has always been internal. And every time he's told to do anything, he does it unquestioningly, even as he, you know, maybe has an internal conversation. He's never, unless I missed a page or a paragraph, he's never outright challenged his owners in such a way. No, because the the culture that he comes from is he's been labeled the truthless, but we're gonna we're gonna unpack more of his perspective in the sense that he has been labeled truthless because he well I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna broad stroke summarize this. Basically mm-hmm. he knew the powers were coming back that we start to see Kaladin have and his culture disagreed with him, so they called him truthless and sent him away. Okay. And so he has to agree with that judgment until he starts to see some of the stuff that he starts to see, and then he goes, maybe I'm not truthless, which is a really difficult thing when you come from a very dogmatic society. Yeah, that makes more sense now. It shines light on, I'm thinking, first, second, third times we see Zeth. Mm -hmm. It shines more light on his internal dialogue now. So, yeah. Any uh, what do you th- where do you think Seth uh, Zeth's uh, story is going to go? Well, if Taravangian is unchallenged in this pursuit of peace, whatever he, whatever it is, that's what he's calling it. Then we're going to see Zeth continue to do his bidding until he's faced with what what you just said. Until he's faced with some information that makes him question if he's really a truthless, and because the last name on the list is Dalinar Colin. Taravangian is trying to kill Dalinar because we know that Dalinar lives at least until book three. I'm a, I'm, I think I'm safe to assume that. Why do you think I you're think safe to assume that? Because it's about him. Why do you and think that? Because you've told me that, and it's about Don't believe everything I tell you. That's about Oathbringer. I mean, it's about his sword. It's his sword. So, it's a, so what, are you telling me that it's about... Everything that's before the Way of Kings is Oathbringer like a prelude? It's Oathbringer is like Nightblood. No, I'm talking about the book Oathbringer. Is it a prelude in some sense to the Way of Kings? Because then, yeah, Dalinar could be dead. No. And that's fine. So, but my assumption, again, if is when Zeth meets Dalinar, and I'm assuming Dalinar lives in Oathbringer and it's a linear timeline mm-hmm. in the books, then whatever happens there, because he's also probably going to meet Kaladin, and he's probably going to meet Yasna and Shallan, maybe, or at least they'll be around because Yasna and Shallan are supposedly going to the Shattered Plains to talk they are. to Dalinar about what they have learned. So if all three, four, whatever those were, Dalinar, Shallan, Yasna, four, three, Kaladin, Zeth, four, if all of them meet in some form or fashion, I'm assuming that's where Zeth starts to doubt that he's a truthless or begins to doubt what he was told about himself and begins to doubt the judgment that was passed on him. Okay. Yeah. Let's move on to Shalon and, and Yasna and let's do it. see what they're up to. What, what, what have we learned? What happened? Well, 
Yasna's still in her hospital room, and she is running through the course of events leading up to the poisoning. And she's sort of surprised by Casbel's death. Mm-hmm. And we found out that he like overdid it with the poison because he's, I guess, a novice at poisoning people. And <laughs> so that's why he died. And she's surprised by Yasna's immunity because Yasna supposedly ate the bread that was poisoned. The jam was what had the antidote. And so she begins to run through the, the, the events of that afternoon, and she starts drawing she, from memory. She has photographic memory. She starts drawing the event, and she notices something in her drawing that forces her to conclude that Yasna soul-casted the bread into something else and soul-casted the jam into something else. And because Yasna didn't know what jam really tasted like because she doesn't like jam, doesn't eat jam, uh, she cast it into something absolutely horrid. That's what the jam tasted and smelled like it did. She decides to confront Yasna and tell her, I know that your Fabriel, your soul caster is fake. The one I stole is fake. You can soul cast without without a Fabriel, without a soul caster. And to my surprise, and maybe other reader's surprise, Yasna was like, yep. Now, you know, I'm paraphrasing. But she... Uh, she admits it, and Shalon tells her that she wants to continue being her ward, wants to continue to learn soul casting because she soul casts. She admits everything even in greater detail. I soul cast a goblet into blood. The reason I cut myself was to cover it up. I'm able to soul cast just like you. I need to be, still be your ward. So Yasna objects, but then. Shalon again apologizes for everything, fully admits her guilt, and says that I can be somebody that can keep your secrets. I can share your secrets because I also, and I'm kind of putting words in Shalon's mouth and paraphrasing things, because I also can soul cast. I want to learn more and I want to help you on your quest. I'm kind of putting like parts of the a longer conversation all into one sentence there. Yeah. So. Yasna relents and makes Shalon promise to never lie or steal again and gives her notes on the Voidbringers. And here's where there's the second twist. This is why this section is so much more interesting for me than anything else if compared side by side. So before reading the notes, Shalon starts asking um, about soul casting and uh, about specifically her blood, how, how she was able to soul cast her blood into blood that's not poison when she couldn't even soul cast a strawberry jam. So that's discussed, and Yasna goes into how blood is one of the essences, essences and therefore easy to soul cast, unlike the strawberry jam, which she's never had any experience with strawberry jam. So as they talk and as Shalon reads the notes, oh, before that, Shalon tries soul casting and goes back again to that place that she saw Shades when she saw cast. So as the before she starts reading Yasna's notes on the Voidbringers, Shalon tries to soul cast to prove to Yasna that she can do it, and she goes to that place where she saw those Voidbringers, and where she soul cast for the first time, and she has to admit to apparently the Voidbringers 
something true. She has to tell them a truth that's, I guess, meaty, that has some meat on their bones, mm-hmm. on his bones, for them to bond. And so she admits that she killed her father, and that creates the bond, and she begins to go through the process of soul casting, whatever is happening in this other dimension. And she needs to be saved by Shallan because she begins to drown in some sea of beads or something. Um, so th- as that's happening, Shallan gets rescued, and Yasna, and then well, and then they're they're talking about the Voidbringers and the notes and uh, myth versus science and how how these legends of the Voidbringers came to be. In that conversation, and from the notes, we are told as the readers that the humans in Rashar never actually destroyed or banished the Voidbringers. They instead enslaved them as parchment, which was, again, that was like the third now twist reveal. It's not really a twist, I guess, but the third pretty awesome reveal for me, Eslav, because, you know, yeah, again, you it did, goes back to the first. coming, right. For the first step. Well, I didn't see it coming, but also going back to the first episode, and why do I read ahead? Why do I want some context? Because it kind of shapes a lot of the the story for me and gives me this gives me an appetite to go further and go more. So this is one of those things where you're like, oh wow, now so much more makes sense, and so much more that I want to learn. So that's interesting. She finishes reading Jasna's notes, and she comes to the conclusion um, that Yasna is right about the parchment being the void bringers, and. The notes I got from coppermind.net, I'm just going to read a couple of sentences because it does a better job than I could in my ramblings. They discuss the frightening ramifications of this conclusion, and then they make plans to travel to the Shattered Plains to continue investigating King Gavilar's death and the Prashendi transformed into warriors. So that's very interesting. The readers left to speculate, in my opinion. So, again, now, the next books is I want to read. What are those ramifications? Right. And then we just we get a glimpse into the Ghost Bloods, which is a secret organization, also seeking answers on the Voidbringers. And it's revealed that not only the house ward or the house, the head slave, the head, the head dude for Yasna's father, who was helping them soul cast, which they could have been doing without a real soul caster, too. It's not broken. It's probably fake, too. He's dead. The other people with the same signal symbols on their tattoos or their whatever their it's a tattoo necklace. Yeah, uh, came by to ask for the soulcaster, probably to hide the fact from the other kids that it's a fake soulcaster. And then, and then her um, her father being involved with all of them leads Shalon to conclude or at least speculate. That her father was also likely a member, probably the, the Ghost Bloods. Yeah, that's so, that's pretty much it for 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 you me. You said Yasna's, on... but uh, family, but you you mentioned Shalons. But that leads me to a question: What do you think the Ghost Bloods want? And what? Well, you that my question was actually what what made you makes you think that they also want to figure out who the who the Voidbringers are? Well, because the chapter summary told me. That's what it is. They're they're in that pursuit, pursuit of who the wood bringers are, and if they're soul casting in the same manner as Shalon 
Ken and Yasna Ken, and they go to Shadesmar, where they're able to see this third dimension, whatever it is in this world, second dimension, fourth dimension. Well, not second, obviously, but they're able to see this dimension. They're looking for whoever runs the dimension or whoever can provide them information about this dimension. So those would be the void bringers in this in this case because of the soul casting and the process. So they might be looking for different answers, different questions than the, you know, Yasna Colin. But we're told that they're looking for the void bringers too. Interesting. So they're I remember something from reading the chapter, the discussion between Yasna and Shalon, that the ghost bloods, they interfere, interfere with things or have interfered with uh, Yasna's uh, search. So that kind of puts a, a little bit of a you know caveat on on what the ghost bloods are searching for. Maybe they know exactly what's going on. And they're just preventing Yasna from finding out. And they're already using the void bringers, or have con- have a connection with them somehow. Mm-hmm. That could be it too. But again, I'm I'm being a good friend and not reading ahead, only reading enough to give me something to discuss without everything being an assumption. You want another but, secret? Sure. The ghost bloods originated from a different planet in the Cosmere. So is then Shalon is from a different planet? She's not. No, you mean the hold on. So if her father is a member, well, hold on, hold on a second. So they're originated there. They can have members from other planets, right? So it's not like Shalon is from a different planet because her dad is a member. Because she's a light eyes. Rafa. Or is that because or is that because her mother's a light eyes? Rafa. And and daddy's a ghost blood from Planet Ghost Blood. Rafa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a different series. There's a different series that I want us to read that will give more insight into the origins of the ghost bloods. And that's all okay. I'll say to that. But we'll have to get there. And this is why I'm so adamant with you about every time you do a first read-through of these books, we have to record it because the Cosmerians, and if you've read the Cosmere, you understand, like, the first time you read it and you, you find some of this information, you're like, oh, shoot, this is relevant to this and this and this and this. And there are these revelations. It's, it's this pause that you just had where you were like, well, wait a second. And now you're like taking the new information and trying to fit it into the puzzle piece or into the puzzle that is the Cosmere. A, um, that's fun for folks who've been in the Cosmere. So we, or who've read the Cosmere, which is why I understand that you don't think that people want to hear you read a book, but I'm telling you that because you're a new, you're a new recruit to the Cosmere. <laughs> Uh, it's very important that we record each of these and that you're not allowed to read ahead. And I'm sending you information to like, because I'm trying to get better at, at letting you know things in advance a little bit that aren't too whatever, because I'm not trying to just be a buzzkill, but like you also, there are big reveals. Like I just sent you an image of what the canon version of Teravangian looks like and another secret that you can't talk about right now. But you're also not allowed to go look at this page because it's got huge spoilers that I need you to just not see yet. So there's like, I will try to feed you things that are fun to help give you context and like whet the appetite for moving forward. But I also like need you to honor, there's the honor, the fact that you can't just go search willy nilly, even though it'll be fun because there's 
the reaction like we want the reaction. Right. And for what it's worth, 100% honesty here, even in the beginning when I searched for stuff, um, it was only to get little morsels of context. And the only thing I spoiled for myself is that I will do better. The most important words a man can say? The most important words a man can say. I At this point, I forgot what I looked up. And but on that page, it was just a character. I was just trying to get a background on the character, and on that on that page, it had the whole poem written out. But all that to say, the following: for what it's worth, I've only been into little morsels because I do want to honor, like the call it the pact, call it whatever we have here for this project, because part of the entertainment for our audience, I fully understand, is me exploring and finding things out as we go. So I'm not going to I'm not going to be a buskill just for a spoiler. That's not that's not fun for me either. Right, right. <laughs> so yeah, I'm 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 we're trying to find the balance here and you know this is only episode 14, part 9 of The Way of Kings and we're going to we're going to have more books and and frankly what's the roadside picnic is that the book we're reading roadside next? picnic yeah so that's yeah, the book we're reading a... next and it's a russian dystopian uh russian uh russian yeah dystopian, dystopian cyberpunk absurdity. kind of sci-fi it would it's not really cyberpunk because it's about a future but it's not a really dy- isn't it a little dystopian? bit of absurdian like like i'm thinking about a, a philosophy a realm of philosophy called absurdism kind of like that where it's like Never mind. I, I think I'm getting off. This is straight up Russian sci-fi. There are a few things that came out of Russia, specifically by the brothers who wrote this, that are clear sci-fi. And it has had an impact on movies and Western literature and even some really cool high cinema in Russia. So Tarnakovsky made a movie called The Stalker, or just Stalker, and it's based on this book. Interesting. So the quick premise of the, the, quick premise of the My, book okay. is... Oh, go for just, it. Just for to, to moisten the more the, the appetites of the listeners is there's these zones. This is a you know supposedly the future written in the 70s, but supposedly the future, and there's these zones across the world that have been visited by extraterrestrials, and because of these visits, these zones are highly dangerous. There's also stalkers who go into these zones and try to steal some of the stuff that's found, that's left by the extraterrestrials, and sell it on the black market. So it's a story about a stalker, and that's all I'm going to say. Well, the, yeah, the, my main point was I'm not going to go read anything extra. Now, that, that's a, a much shorter book than this one is, but the my point stands where it's just like part of the journey before destination here with our literature reading is when one of us has read something, and we were actually just discussing both reading a book that we've never read before, and kind of seeing what that would look like. That will also look. That will also include like a precursor. Hey, no reading ahead because, or like not reading ahead, but no no extra information because there's something about the reaction that we get when we go. Oh wow, I didn't see that coming. Or oh, that's an interesting way to make that character. Da da da. Because you know we're here to talk about world building, plot and characters and the issues that come and go and the and the joys with them too. That was my that was my old whole point good point very good point any further thoughts on shalon and, and yasna where do you think that they're going to the shattered planes but you know what do you think that their storyline is going to entail 
first of all, really happy that this happened. My girl, Shalon, I'm very proud of her. Very proud that she figured it out and had the backbone to uh, to go to Yasna and say what she said. And I'm pleased to see that Yasna responded the way that she did. Because I think as maybe hard-headed and abrasive and all the other things that she's accused of being, I think at the end of the day, Yasna liked Shalon. Not only for her initial tenacity, but for her brains. I I just like that. I'm very happy to see that Shalon's not not back with her family. She didn't run away and we have to go go to a different part of Roshar to see her arc as she, you know, hides from her past or whatever. I'm glad that she's gonna be part of the main story. Mm-hmm. Here's an assumption. Maybe she'll meet Kaladin since he's a strapping young captain now and Dalinar's uh Dalinar's guard. We yeah, we'll find out for sure. Yeah, we'll find out for sure. Although the the emoji you sent me in my response to that text when I text you that betrays your hand. But whatever. What's next for Yasna and Shalon? It'll be interesting to see if Teravangian and Zeth cross paths beyond just a farewell of the ducks for Shalana and Yasna. But if they're going to Shattered Plains, that's where well, that's where we're gonna see them. Yes, meet Kaladin and discuss the Parshendi. Mm-hmm. Because Dalinar and Kaladin are both uh, either through visions, which are telling them something about the world and what's coming, and then through their interaction specifically with the Parshendi, are seeing that things are not as they are. And Shalan and Yasna are bringing new knowledge that will complete that. So they're between the four of them, and Kaladin's going to be part of it because he's storm-blessed and has to, he's the captain of Dalinar's uh, guard, so they have to interact somehow. And I think the information that all four will bring to the table will set pace for some of the events in uh, The Way of Radiance or whatever the next book is. Words of Radiance. Words of Radiance, thank you. That's my high-five to Shalon and my assumption about where her and Yasna are going. And then Yasna and Rock will have a little baby called Pebble. Exactly. That's a good... Hey, I like that. You're welcome. Yes. You're welcome. All right. Let's talk about Kaladin and Dalinar. What What does Syl tell us at the beginning of Kaladin and Dalinar's chapter just after everything that took place in the last episode? Doesn't she tell him that Dalinar is honorable? No, no, no. That's exactly it. Yeah. she Because Kaladin has this racism against light eyes and mm, just a tiny bit. for for good reason honestly right like yeah well, i wouldn't call it racism i guess then well yeah because they're the, the same race it's i guess classism classism or what's the word i'm looking for when you dis- uh, d- discriminate but not discriminate it's another word for that but whatever yeah classism let's just go with that let's not belabor this is something that people don't want to really talk about just because you're a minority or you might be oppressed, doesn't mean that you can't harbor unfounded ill feelings. Because you can be angry at the oppression, and you can point at the people oppressing you and accuse them directly and be right to accuse them of the evil they have perpetrated against you, but to blanketly, that's not even a word, but you guys no, know what I, I think, mean. No, I think it works. To blanketly, let's just make up a word for this uh, for this sentence, to blanketly just say all people in this class 
because we're talking about classism, not racism, in this class are complete garbage. Just because I've met three, three out of ten, I have treated me like crap. Well, that means the other seven are hiding something, you know, or, or six yeah, out of ten, whatever. Yeah. Well, like, yeah. so there's not not one redeemable person in this whole class. No, because Dalinar just proves Kaladin wrong. And listen, we can understand why Kaladin's pissed. Yeah, like, Rashon got like, his brother killed. Yeah, Amaram got his men killed. And the the reason that. Kaladin, one of the reasons that Kaladin is so pissed, and I'm with him on it, is these folks, these specific light eyes, all they talked about is honor and their status and how it makes them better and more, whether whether smarter or more equipped to rule and run, you know, Roshar. And And they have these books, like The Way of Kings, and they talk about, you know, the right to do the right thing and all well, that stuff. Well, to be fair, most of these light eyes don't read the Way of Kings because they don't care about changing. Well, right, yeah, yeah, but they have them, right? So the perception is they have these things and they ignore them. So that that's part of I think Kaladin's repulsion is because they have these things, they talk about these things, but they're they're double double tongued or double minded. They're not living up to the codes that even they have, and they treat the dark eyes, especially Sadius. <laughs> especially the bridgemen they de- they 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 dehumanize them so they're just yeah. fodder they're not even human right yeah you, you can use a lot of adjectives and a lot of great things to say oh it's evil it's bad it's all the things but it's almost with contempt yeah but even worse than fair. that because i think Callan has contempt for light eyes 100%. but he would never never use him as fodder like sadius uses a chip on his bridgemen. shoulder the size of a boulder yeah so anyway sil tells him that Dalinar is indeed honorable. He's truly an honorable light eyes. And I think Kaladin has to come to the realization that, yeah, like they're not all light eyes are the same. Right. And just like right. And what know. is what does Dalinar give Kaladin? Oh, that's kind of cool. His the the cloak from the battle. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm glad that you know Kaladin stood up for his men and himself and said, yeah, you can promote me. I can be in your guard, but I'm not going to be anybody's. You know, step and fetch it. If I'm going to do this, we're going to do this the right way, and I'm going to be in charge of the bridgemen. I need to have a, a rank high enough where I'm not taking orders from you know idiot light eyes with with chips on their shoulders. <laughs> I need to be able to do this the right way. And Dalinar is surprised by the guy's you know bravery and maybe fortrightness, even to talk to a light eyes that way. But he's right. Like, Dalinar realizes this guy's not just busting my chops, um, not just being, you know, insolent at all, actually. He's actually saying something that's correct. And so he promotes him to captain and gives him a cloak and says that's it. You know, Kaladin is free, a high-ranking official in Dalinar's army. And then he goes back to talk to the boys. Yeah. And then what are the boys doing? The boys are eating stew. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are, and giving uh, Rock a hard time, which is always good. Because I like Rock's, uh, I like Rock's reactions to getting his chops busted. He's like, "Wait, no, that's not it." Oh, wait, you're joking? Yeah, okay. You know, every t- it's kind of like a a cycle, well, kind of like a cycle. It is a cycle with him, where he gets you know his chops busted for putting rocks in his stew or something, right? Because he's a, a horn eater yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And and his almost childlike defensive reaction and then like oh wait a minute these guys are just kidding all <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny so 
Bridge Four also wants to learn the powers of Kaladins. Yeah. Think. What do yeah. you think? What do you think about it's, that? Do you think they can? No, I don't think they can. I think that's a fair. Yeah. I I think the you don't choose the power, the power chooses you kind of thing. I know that's very a simplistic way of saying it, but I don't think if Rock tries as hard as he can, he'll have the same powers of Ka- as Kaladin. Because I think you know what only there's supposed to be only nine or ten. Night, night's radiant, so not all of them are going to learn how to do this. Now, maybe if you consult the old magic, or there's workarounds, for lack of a better term, yeah, maybe they can learn how to do that. But for Kaladin's journey, for what he's chosen to be a part of, those specific powers may be imitated by them because of the workaround I just mentioned, but they're, they're never going to be the same as Kaladin. Okay. Nice. Uh, we we have a hard stop today, so we're going to just keep this thing rolling, especially because I've got for the next episode. But Dalinar has another vision. He he, he goes back to the right, right. hear the voice. and Yeah. Yeah, that's that was an interesting thing. It shown some light on a few things in, uh, in this book. So he finds out that these visions he's having, he was under the assumption he was talking to the voice. That's not the case. The voice has been talking to him, and it's been in bits and pieces. Most of the bits have been complete thoughts, but some of them have not. And he's still told that Dalner must lead and protect the people, and he must unite them. And he's commanded to rebuild the Knights Radiant, because the true desolation is it's still coming. And so we find out that the voice never told Dalinar to trust Sadius. Dalinar didn't get the full picture of those bits and pieces I mentioned, but what this voice kept telling him and is telling him is to rebuild the Knights Radiant, to unite the people, and that the desolation is coming. And the voice ends by proclaiming that the Almighty, whoever, whatever that is for these people, that Almighty is dead because Odium killed him. Yeah. What do you think about Odium killing the Almighty? I don't think it's a an actual murder in a sense like there's no longer the Almighty in this world. I think it might be um, symbolism. If we're going to believe that these visions are true and this voice is of the Almighty, whatever Odium is doing or did is, let's just say, hampering the... The Almighty, we've given so we're we're given so little about the Almighty. Yeah, we're this given is a so seed little about Odium. Become a tree. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 it's a seed on somebody's counter before it's even before we put it in the in the ground. It's not even waiting to become a tree. It hasn't been planted yet. Now, with Dalinar hearing the voice and then realizing that the voice couldn't hear him, do you think that? How do I want to? How do I want to phrase this? Do you think that he's going to continue to see new visions? Maybe a few more, and then when when it's appropriate, you know, to whatever force is talking to him, whatever is driving this, I think he, there might be more visions. But once he begins to build the Knight's Radiance, if he ever does, mm-hmm. there might be less and less visions because these visions are specifically to get Dalinar to do two things. Interesting. All right. And uh, what do you think about the last part of this book? Just before the Dude, Ars Arcanum. Good stuff. Before, before the Ars Arcanum. 
our last character that we get some time with. Mr. Hoyd, a.k.a. Wit, mm. a.k.a. Slava Spirit Animal. No, I'm kidding. Kind of. Wit has a conversation with some guardsmen in Kalinar. So this is the kingdom. And uh, so the, they go back and forth. And because he's a light eyes, they kind of leave him alone. But he's being wit. But it's a, de- it's a decent back and forth. He's not, he's not being too crazy. So he asked them, what is the talent that men value most? And you're going to help me because I'm losing my track of thought here. Yeah, the, the, the soldiers gave their various answers. Yeah. And then somebody shows up at the door. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. So uh, before that, like, I, what did he actually say? Remind me he what he said. He says it after that the guy shows up at the door. Talon shows up? Talon. And, like, yeah, he's a herald. Breaks the door? Yeah. So the herald that was uh, left alone in the place of nightmares. Yeah, he's the only one who is holding the oath packed together at this point. Right, which was cool uh, to see him because you only hear about him once in the whole book. And then what does Wit uh, say? He says that timeliness is something that men value most, right? Is is Yeah, the talent that men value most is timeliness. And Tom yeah. is late. Too late, right? Yeah. So um, He says so. How do you nothing? I got nothing. I got. Okay. I was just like, I just like literally. I, I'm not even trying to cop out. I was just like, what the hell's going on? So, so, so this guy came back from the place of nightmares. Mm-hmm. Somehow, Hoyd Wit, who's being chased by three, three dudes, uh, who are also world hoppers, knows enough to warn Dalinar to be a friend of him, the some a little bit, and he knows that Talon is coming to Colinar. Because he's busting these uh, guards' chops, kind of being playful with them. Because he knows this guy's going to come and bust open the door with a shard blade. And then he has this, you know, smart alecky response that, like, hey, timeliness is what men value most. Because it was a setup for a bit. Because he's wit. Um, Hey, that rhymes. And then he says, well, Talon's too late. So the guy holding back the the desolation, well, holding back the desolation, holding the oath pack, the desolation's coming. So the guy, the only guy who is left holding the oath pack, has come to Colinar. For some reason, he busted down the doors, and we were just kind of left the end scene. You know, scene fate to black. That's it to be continued. How do you think that this is relevant to the uh, intro of the book? Desolation is coming, right? And so, he's the guy that returns when the desolation comes. So we've about. seen some heralds. And those heralds were, now we've seen Talm. I told you before that the woman destroying the art was Ash. And at the beginning of the book, we saw, do you remember? Two people. Mm-mm. It was it was before the prologue. It was Jezrian and Kalek. And they're standing there, and they're having a conversation about the desolations, about kind of like giving up on the Oath Pact. And they collect is relinquishing his blade. You know, Jezrian saying it's time for the oath pact to end, leaving Talm as the only herald who died in battle and will hold the oath pact together. And so, you know, knowing that the front end of this book and the back end of this book deal with heralds, knowing that we got another insight into a different herald, and knowing that there's this thing out there called odium, like just th- make some wild assumptions, like. And then we'll we'll wrap up here, and we can talk about the Ars Arcanum in our next episode. So, wild assumptions. 
We begin with a desolation, and we end with a coming desolation. And the only guy that's holding the oath pack is dead in the beginning and alive and back from the place of nightmares in the end. So the wild assumption, which is not that wild, I think, this is setting up the next uh, act of the story. Because if the desolation is coming, it might not come for the maybe in the next book, but it is coming, so it's setting up these events. Dalinar, Kaladin, Shalon, Yasna, I believe their paths will cross. They're going to meet up. The people are going to the place where the, the, everybody is. I'll, you know, The two are going to the, where the other two are. And so th- that family uh, and Kaladin uh, and Shalon, they're getting ready for a fight. They're getting ready, ready for the task of uniting the kingdoms. And Talon is the guy who fights the Voidbringers, fights the, you know, whatever comes with the, the desolation, and he shows up at the seat of power for this family. Either there's going to be a conflict between Talon and the family initially, or everybody's going to get along just fine in the sandbox and begin to build the Knights Radiant. And more and more is going to be revealed about the, the betrayal or the, the, the heralds who left the Oath Pack. So maybe more of that will be revealed. It seems fair. All right. Well, that's the way of kings, folks. We'll uh, we'll dive into the Ars Arcanum later, and Slava can stew on these things when I have my secret surprise episode coming up next time uh, with some fun details to come on that. Absolutely. It sounds like it's going to happen, but it, I'm still tying it together. Yeah. So whatever happens... There will still be an episode 15, and we will still talk the way of kings. And with that, good people, goodbye.